I need all kinds of resources today, so I'm shuffling a bit. So ever since I had gotten back from Rome, there's just so many things that I needed to sort of sort through, and I think we all know, I feel like I'm in the same boat with everybody else, when usually it's the papers that are like the last thing, just like stacks of receipts at random papers, and you're like, oh, I don't want to go through the papers, so these little piles have been sitting on my floor, and um, one of the great privileges that I have at times is to go speak about vocations to different schools and things like that, and we were able to do that really throughout all of seminary, and so as I was going through some of the papers, I found a bunch of cards from uh, an elementary school or middle school one time when I had given a talk there about vocations. And, you know, of course, I'm thinking, I would love to save them all, but eventually I, I'm a priest. I can't collect this stuff with me. i got to get rid of them and stuff. But I did happen to come across one that I was just like, wow, that's really funny and really insightful. And so I brought this with me for two, so that you'll see the front of this card right here. And it says, meet Peter Julia, the incredible rock climber. So there's two reasons why I brought this with me today. To tell you what an incredible rock climber I am. And no, no more than that is actually to tell you just a story about what, what climbing meant in my life and what it means now. It kind of goes hand in hand with our gospel today about the vineyard. The whole entire aspect of that gospel are the various different ways that people reject Jesus, reject the ten, all the messengers are rejected. So they go out, they go out there to collect the money, collect the produce, and they're rejected in various violent ways. And then it happens again so that it's like, oh, but they'll hear my son. If I send my son, he'll have the credibility, but he's rejected too. And then it stands by that one phrase that many people really tend to remember. It's even in a Bob Marley song, for those of you who know. The stone rejected by the builders has become the cornerstone. And one of the reasons that that's such an important verse is we remember all this cycle of this year, we're hearing mostly from the Gospel of St. Matthew. St. Matthew's so important because he was preaching mostly, primarily, initially, to a Jewish audience. And so there's all kinds of things saturated in his Gospel to preach to that audience specifically. He's always trying to show how that Jesus is the Messiah that they've been waiting for. And he uses terms that they would be familiar with. Son of God, or son of, son of man, son of David. Things that the Jewish people would know. So when he's rejected in that foundational quote right there, he says, I have to go and find other people that will bear fruit. And that's one of the very reasons that we're here in this church today is because we're some of those other people or in a lineage of those other people that seek to bear the fruit of the gospel and go spread it throughout the world. One of the things that was so insightful about this card, A, you know, it does a great job of utilizing all negative space, which for those of you who are artists is very well done. And then the next thing, this was a fifth grader, by the way. And then the next thing, there's a zoom in mode right here that shows a couple climbers on the mountain and some snow and everything like that. But here's the the most insightful part for me. It said, this was obviously a question that the teacher asked them. What inspired us or surprised us? And he said, God chose the path that you wanted. You chose to follow God. You still have time to do what you like to do rock climbing. And one of the things that was so insightful about that very thing 
And I think the, the, one of the reasons that people tend to reject Christ and reject the message of the gospel is because they're so afraid that by giving their life to God that he's going to take from them, that your life is going to cease to be your own and what you would want. And that's, I mean, and frankly, that's what most people think when they see my life. A lot of kids, of course, think that I spend most of my time in that chair, you know, praying most of the day, and then every once in a while I get up here and I do Mass, and I work on Sundays. It sounds like actually a pretty good job, but a sad job. I've heard it referred to as forever alone. That's <laughs> what I've heard it referred to by, which kind of makes me chuckle. But the amazing thing about that is that that fear was in me at some point in my life. Like, Lord, if I follow you, what, this is going to be hard, and you're going to make me sacrifice all things, and it's going to be terrible. I don't, I don't know that I could do this. And one of the things that, that was amazing to me about that card is it reminded me of a, a really pivotal point in my life that kind of revolved around even our opening song today, Sing to the Mountains. I was like, that's so funny. You know, it's funny how God does these things, or our music director inspired by God. And so one of the things that had happened to me is that in the seminary, even, people are like, oh, Peter, he's the rock-climbing guy. You know, you attach things to people so that you remember who they are. So you're like, oh, he's like, I see Mike Flanagan out there. He's the running guy. You know, it's just like, you know, it's just easy for people to make that association, right? I would like to think I'm a little bit bigger than that. But one of the things I used to say when I was coaching the kids that I coached at the Multnomah Athletic Club for climbing was, remember, climbing is something that you do. It is not who you are. It's a really important thing to remember about sports, athletics, the things that we love to do. And kind of, St. Thomas said, grace builds on nature. And so we might be good at something, and that's great, and we should use that. But if we use it to glorify God, it'll be magnified kind of all the more. So I thought back to an experience that I'd had where I was going to go climb in Ecuador. There were a few mountains that I was going to climb with my friend Drew and, uh, and, and another friend of mine named Katie. And so we went to go out to Ecuador. And during this time, I had been discerning the priesthood, and I'd been going to spiritual direction with one of the priests of the archdiocese here. And throughout that time, I just remember getting to Ecuador. And I'll just cut to where I am at this moment on the mountain. I have altitude sickness. <laughs> I feel absolutely terrible. It's snowing outside, and I'm far away from home on the slopes of a mountain called Cayambe. And I'm like, and then all of a sudden, we just left Quito, Ecuador. If you've ever been to Quito, there's a, like a big Gothic cathedral there. And the whole entire time, I was aware of that while we were in the city. I could always see it sort of looming over my shoulder. And so my faith, so there was something tugging at me. There was like an actual tension that I was feeling at this moment in my life. And then I'm sick, laying there like, oh Lord, just take me now. It would be easier, you know, that, that when you're sick, how you feel like that. And um, in that moment, I started to look at all the resources that it took to get me there. Time off of work, um, the plane tickets, the gear, the extra gear I had to buy, uh, you know, the hostel, the food, the, you know, any hotels in the interim and stuff. And I looked at it and I was like, I've spent so much, not just money, but time and resources to be here right now. And I was like, what am I doing here? And so I, I just found myself wondering what I mean, nothing like being stricken with some kind of a sickness to make you think about the, uh, the uh, consequences of your life. But in that moment, 
one of the other things that had happened, the side story going on, was one of the children that I coached made the national championship unexpectedly for climbing. And I'd heard he had this trip planned, so our assistant uh, coach was going to go on that trip. So all of these things, I felt like there was a responsibility that I had to be there, and I wasn't there. And then I was just like, what, what does this all mean? So I changed my ticket. I ended up going back. I went to the national championship, which was in Atlanta, uh, Georgia at the time, and I ended up you know, coaching instead of climbing that mountain. And when I went back to speak to my spiritual director, he's like, how was the trip? And I was like, terrible, let me count the ways. And so I started to explain to him what had happened. But like many of my spiritual directors over the year, they pointed out something. One of, one of them famously would always say, but Peter, what's the grace? What's the grace? And sometimes I was too busy, like, you know, kicking and screaming to be like, there is no grace. You know, it's all just God not loving me the best he can. <laughs> you know, you just kind of feel like that sometimes. But I was like, the grace is, is that I realized that my priorities were sort of out of whack. And that was the grace. And so in that time in my life, I really started to reorder my priorities. And one of the hardest things for me to do was actually to leave my job of coaching because I really loved to do that. And, you know, unlike just kind of teaching a grade where the kids graduate to the next level, I coached some of those kids every single year and saw them four or five days a week for, for five, six years. So it was very hard for me to leave that. But then, because I was afraid that it was going to be taken from me, that if I didn't reject, you know, God kind of in some way, that he was going to take more from me and my life was going to be harder. But when it, what ended up happening, kind of the message of that card right there, was shockingly, sort of even surprisingly to me, with less resources, way, way less financial resources, when... I entered the seminary, I still had these opportunities to climb, but they took on kind of a new life, going with seminarians to climb Mount Hood. And then when I, when I was sent to Rome, I, had the, I, I, I was on Mont Blanc twice, climbed Grand Paradiso twice, and then climbed Kilimanjaro while I was there. And none of those things would have ever, I, there's no way I would have flown from the United States to go to Europe or go to Africa and climb those mountains if it had not been for my location there in Rome. But the thing that ended up changing throughout this whole entire process is when I went to Kilimanjaro with my friend Father Michael, he, I wasn't a priest yet at the time, and he's a priest from uh, Baltimore, an upperclassman at the, at the college. And we went together, and we celebrated Mass every day on the slopes of that mountain even on Christmas Day, because we were up there on Christmas Day. And I cannot tell you what it was like to see the porters and the guides with tears in their eyes on Christmas Day, which normally they would be working, to be part of a mass, to be part of a religious celebration. So it started to take on a completely new life of mine. One of the people that I climbed... Um, Mont Blanc with I never had met before. But a few years later, she sends me this great message. I'd include this in the first homily, so you guys are getting like an extra, extra piece here. And so um, she had said to me, hey, and I was like, hey. And this is like a couple that works all over the place, an oil company. They were living in England at the time, but when I met them, they were living in China. And she said, so I have this problem. I was like, well, what's your problem? 
So she said, I wanted, for years, I've wanted to buy these Jimmy Choo shoes. I don't know if many of you know about Jimmy Choo shoes, but they're like $3,000, like something crazy. She obviously made a lot of money. So she's like, I bought the shoes. I wore them like twice last year. And for years, I wanted these. And I don't know, it didn't make me happy. <laughs> so she was telling that story. And so I was just like, oh, well, you don't, you know, you don't say. But then we started talking more about the faith. But what it ended up being is that God didn't take it away from me. It was something that he gave me as a gift, as a talent, something I could do. But he ended up using it as a source of evangelization. So three years later, some stranger that I climbed the mountain with starts to ask me about spiritual questions. Because there was not that many people that they met that they felt were close to God. But she saw that in me and was able to feel comfortable enough to ask me a question. This material thing that I bought doesn't fulfill me at all. Like, okay, what next? Like, what do I do now? And I think that's the great fear for any young person, any adult, anybody, is that if we give more to God, that he's actually just going to take it. You know, actually, Archbishop Blasney has this great, great phrase, and he said, you know, <laughs> you know, if you want to give your life to God, he's talking about, like, future priests, he said, don't be surprised when he takes it, <laughs> you know, and stuff. And so that is true in the fact that we are going to have to sacrifice things in our Christian life. We're going to have to sacrifice things. But somehow, some way, even amidst what we give to God, he super abundantly provides for us in spite of the thing that we sacrifice. I mean, I mean, I'm, I can't speak for every single priest on the earth, but I can say that I'm a far happier man with way better ordered priorities than I was back when I was just a rock climbing instructor. And I was still struggling with what that meant in my life. And so this rejection that people have of God creates a lot of anxiety in their life. And the reason that I, that I mention this is I need, like I said, I needed multiple resources today. So today we hear from St. Paul, and it's amazing in his letters what he says. You know, so in this first letter to the Philippians, he says, brothers and sisters, have no anxiety at all, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. This word anxiety is probably one of the most common words I hear now in our day and age, from the youth, in the confessional, from everybody who talks to me. Anxiety, anxiety, anxiety. And one of the things that we forget to do in our agitated or anxious state is actually ask God for what we need the most. God, I need to be closer to you. I need you to help me take away this anxiety. It's amazing how many times somebody will bring an anxious situation to me and I'll ask them if they prayed. And then they said, well, not really. It's one of the first things that we need to do. Make your requests known to God. And then he finishes this letter by saying, keep on doing what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Then the God of peace will be with you. So the way of life that Jesus teaches that we learn through the church, through scripture, it's by doing those things 
that we have peace in our life. And that's exactly what I've found, is the closer I got to God is the more peace that I felt in my life. There's not, it's not that there's not times of anxiety or difficulty, but overwhelmingly, the feeling most of the time is peace. And I say this all the time, but the advice that probably somebody's faithful Catholic grandmother would give you is the advice that actually worked in my life. Go to Mass, go to confession regularly, and pray the rosary. And we're like, certainly, it has to be more complicated than this, Lord. Like, you, you almost want it to be. And we're often the ones that tend to overcomplicate it much of the time. But shockingly, being faithful to these small things, to learning from the church, they just grow and expand to the most powerful things in your life and can give us these overwhelming feelings of peace. The last thing I want to read today is something I read not too long ago at one of our daily masses. So I see a bunch of you out there from daily mass, so you're going to have to hear it again, but then maybe you'll start to remember it. So this is a good one that Archbishop Fulton Sheen read this poem during one of his homilies before. And one of the things that's amazing about that is remember in the gospel, that rejection of all of the servants of the vineyard owner and really a rejection of the owner of himself, of his own son. Those rejections, we see that all the time now, but it's in a different way. It's transformed and not as much violence like it was in Jesus' days, but an indifference, just a, com a complete ignoring it. And that's what this, this poem is about. This is called When Jesus Came to Birmingham, which was written by uh, Jeffrey Studdard Kennedy, and he was an Anglican priest. And he wrote this around the, around the 20s, just after World War I. And it's just very telling about the way that we see the world today. When Jesus came to Golgotha, they hanged him on a tree. They drove great nails through hands and feet and made a calvary. They crowned him with the crown of thorns. Red were his wounds and deep. For those were crude and cruel days, and human flesh was cheap. When Jesus came to Birmingham, they simply passed him by. They would not hurt a hair of him. They only let him die. For men had grown more tender, and they would not give him pain. They only just passed down the street and left him in the rain. Still Jesus cried, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. And still it rained the winter rain that drenched him through and through. The crowds went home and left the streets without a soul to see. And Jesus crouched against a wall and cried for Calvary. The thing that I think is so insightful about this poem is, like Stutter Kennedy says, it's not that we want to do the violence against Jesus like the crucifixion on the day that it happened, but we just ignore him all together, with total indifference, just walking by and not paying attention. That's the ultimate rejection of Christ, to walk by and not recognize that he's the Lord of the universe. And so that's really our lesson, and the lesson of the gospel today, is to take the gifts and the talents, the talents that the Lord gives us and give them back 
to God so he can redeem them far beyond our wildest imagination so that he could take them and transform them in open doors that we would never see that can be open in our life. God bless you all today.